0: All right, everybody, welcome to this episode of Learning the Tropes. I am your host, Erin, and today I am joined by romance author Tessa Bailey. Uh, we're here specifically to talk about her newest book, Unfortunately Yours, which is out now, is the second in the and the Yours duology, I guess. I don't know if it has a name, um, but yeah, thanks so much for joining me, Tessa.
1: Yes. Thank you so much for having me. It's a a vine mess is the name of the duology instead of a fine mess. I feel like you can appreciate a play on words because of the name of this podcast. Oh, yes,
0: exactly. (laughs) Um, I, yeah, I've been a huge fan of yours for so long. We actually just did an episode about it happened one summer and- Not to sort of spoil it, but my friend had never read a romance before, and I asked her, I was like, "Would you read another one?" She's like, "Well, now I know he needs to know what happens to Hannah and Fox, so I'm in
1: <laughs> yeah, it's true. you can't read one of those books without reading the other. They're very connected,
0: mm-hmm. and
1: yeah, like I don't want to ruin anything but the the epilogue of Hookline and Sinker, I feel like is kind of a button up to both books, you know
0: yeah, definitely <laughs> and so this is the second in the um a vine mess uh, duology. I assume, right? It's just the two duology. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so, when writing a books that are a couplet like this, how early do you know what the second book is going to be? Do you have that kind of mapped up as you're writing the first book, or it's it's like whenever I
1: sort of center a book around like a family or a brother and sister or sisters, those are the ones I like. I knew. In the Bellinger Sister series, that Piper was going to get a book and Hannah was going to get a book, mm-hmm. and I didn't know who Hannah's hero was going to be. I, I kind of was like, I'm gonna like leave it open to interpretation and see like where she, what her journey has you know amounted to by the end of the book and where I think she should go. And then halfway through, it happened one summer. She ended up on the page of Fox, and uh, I was like, Well, there it is. <laughs> <laughs> It was just so obvious and Mm. I love that it was organic and it felt like um, kind of, I was watching them meet for the first time. I didn't know it was going to happen. So in this, in this series, a vine mess, we meet August, our hero. um, Same thing halfway through the book. He just kind of shows up and he's this like big thick Navy ex Navy seal who has become a winemaker. um, And he just is so out of place in the story, and he's interesting right away because of that. And Natalie is obviously just got amazing chemistry with him right away. Uh, so it's like that's the moment I knew that that was going to be the second book, and I was like, then I was just dying to write that one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um I'm loving, unfortunately, yours so much and something that is so unique about it that I'm like really digging because I am normally mostly historical romance reader. You you and Kate Claiborne basically drag me into contemporaries whenever <laughs> you release a book. But um, there are some like older school tropes and that this is like, well, enemies to lovers is is not sort of rooted, but uh, marriage of convenience and sex pact and things like that. Um, what? do you decide the tropes first or they kind of like naturally come up as you're thinking about the story? Sort of what's your approach to that?
1: I don't, I never think of the tropes like beforehand. Mm -hmm. And that's going back to my very first book. Like I had to learn what tropes were after I started writing romance, which I feel (laughs) like is so backwards. Um, Like my my first editor was like, which, which, which uh, tropes are in this book? And I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Um, but I, I always end up writing a story that's just speaking to me and I can mm-hmm. always back into it by saying like, it because it always ends up being a trope, no matter what I write. That's just kind of what stories are. They always fall into a category. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think like, as far as, oh, what is everybody liking right now, or what's popular right now? Um, I just like whatever I think is going to be most delicious for the characters is kind of where I where I land.
0: And you talk in the in the forward to the book about sort of trepidation around approaching the enemies to lovers trope. Uh, could you talk a little bit more about that and what kind of cracked it for you? Yeah,
1: I. Like enemies to lovers is always hard for me to read because Mm -hmm. I don't like it when the hero is mean to the heroine. I don't like (laughs) it when he is saying mean things to her and, and she doesn't, she doesn't know if he likes her or not. I want it to be, I think part of the fantasy of romance for me is that he cannot help, but love her. Like it is just, it's, he sees her he loves her and nothing can stop him from loving her and so it's very difficult for me to get through a book where they genuinely don't like each other you know and i so funny because i i launched my book last night at union square barnes and noble and somebody raised their hand and said the same thing they were like i don't like enemies to lovers i don't like it when he's mean to her i don't want to read it it makes my my stomach hurt and i feel anxious and i was like i'm the same way and so the way i get around that is There has to be some sort of irrefutable proof that the hero has loved her since the first page. Um, Otherwise I can't (laughs) write it or read it. I just Mm -hmm. need it to be very obvious that, that sort of like that love is there um, and that there's some sort of reason that they, that they're arguing or that they can't, you know, find middle ground, but they will, you know, they will resolve it. And that love is sort of always obvious from the outset.
0: Yeah, and it certainly is here because we're in August's point of view and he's down bad. <laughs> <laughs> he is so bad, yeah. <laughs> he, he loves her so much
1: and he, he's devastated because he lost his, he ruined his chance because he has a big mouth. Mm-hmm. Um, he's sort of like this character who he means so well and he has this heart of gold and he would literally, you know, throw himself, he would throw himself in front of a train for Natalie, but he keeps sticking his foot in his mouth and saying stupid things that hurt her feelings. And, and then he immediately feels terrible about it. Um, and it's sort of endearing in a way because then he he sets about making up for it, you know? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I so related to that because I feel like I'm somebody too who like ball busting or just like sarcasm or something. And, and you always feel it when you say the thing you think is going to land funny and it just comes out <laughs> cruel. And you're yeah. like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> like yes. back up, back up, yeah um i love the dialogue in your books i think you're you're phenomenal at dialogue obviously you're phenomenal also at like dirty talk that's something your heroes are known for (laughs) um could you talk a little bit about creating a unique voice for each of your characters and and sort of how to create that banter that feels so so three-dimensional it feels like you're hearing it as it's written it's
1: like it really is unique to each character i it really depends on what they're hiding. You know what -hmm. like how um reluctant they are to reveal things about themselves if they use humor as a shield or a weapon it's like each character sort of has a different a different personality trait like that um and then when you combine it with the other character set of traits that like you know it's always going to seem different it's always going Mm -hmm. to land differently And like some banter in some books is like it's almost like stilted you know like they they reveal a little bit and then clam up or like in in this case you have august and natalie and it's like insult 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 and then one of those insult land insults lands a little too hard and then Mm -hmm. the guard drops and they just and it's like the person that did the hurting is like i'm sorry like let's start over you know? Yeah. It's such a funny dynamic that they have um, that I kind of was addicted to while I was writing it. <laughs> um, because I do like it when a character says something that maybe hits a little too close to home for the other character, and then they learn something about each other, you know, and themselves. They're like, mm-hmm. I didn't like the way I, I felt when I said that to him. And, and the way he reacted taught me something about him, and I and I now I am more invested. And it's such a way of like banter is is so underrated. It's a way of like really getting to know each other.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, and so many of your books have such a specific sense of place. Like obviously um, with the Bellinger sisters in Westport, um, the the getaway series sort of with Charleston and Saint Petersburg. You know this book with Napa sort of what comes first are you sort of just like entranced by a place and you're like now who would be here or is it kind of the other way around yeah i think i
1: do like it it's like every series is definitely different when it came like with getaway girl i took a i took a tourist bus in charleston and we were up on the battery and the tour guide was like, look at this, you know, look at this amazing mansion. And it was built by a bachelor back in like, you know, the 1890s and you'll notice that the edges are, are rounded on the mansion. And that's because he told the architect he never wanted a woman, a woman to back him into a corner. <laughs> and I was like, and that's like, that, thus the series was born, you know, like I didn't have any plans to write a book in Charleston. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like you take inspiration and you just can't, you don't ignore it. You know, like when you Mm -hmm. get little signs like that, that something is interesting and something is important, just follow that instinct. Um, Yeah. Like it happened one summer. I'm not even really sure. (laughs) I'm not even really sure how I ended up in Westport, Washington, like this little fishing village, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: it was just the setting that fit. I wanted to see captain and I wanted him to be just like, this, I wanted him to be this romantic figure, like in the mist and the ocean and sort of like this traditional town that like thrives on their daily activities and their daily routines. And Mm -hmm. I, like i landed on Westport and I couldn't believe how it's just, it was like straight out of my head. Mm -hmm. And even going there, when I went there to visit, I felt like I was walking through the pages of my book. It just, I, I don't know about something about that place. It's almost like it reached out and talked to me. Um, and I cried when I had to leave. <laughs>
0: well, how did you find it? Were you just kind of like Googling like fishing yeah, it towns? Was,
1: it was. I will it needed proximity to the Bering the Bering Sea in Alaska mm-hmm. and sort of like that that area uh, because they they're crab fishermen. So yeah, it was. I was. It was during lockdown that I was writing this book. So all I could do was Google and all I could do was look um, and. I think i probably went through five or six different places before i landed on westport and it, yeah like i said it was just that was it that was a place <laughs> and then i think with the vine mess series i just wanted somewhere <laughs> sunny i just wanted some sunshine i wanted some romance romance and i think there's nothing more romantic than like wine and vineyards and like the rolling hills and the sunshine of california and also just like that traditional feeling of winemaking so eternal
0: Yeah. Have you got a chance to go to Napa Valley to do a. I, well, I was
1: going to for this book tour, but like they couldn't like fit me in. Like there was, (laughs) there's so many wine events that they were like, our street is closed down on the weekend of your tour. Like we basically wouldn't be able to, we wouldn't have, be able to have lines at the door. We wouldn't be able to have parking. Like it's, it's too, we wouldn't be able to fit you. And I was like, (laughs) oh, God. So I'm doing San Diego instead. I'm like, I'm going to have to drink some wine in San Diego to make up for it.
0: You could drink Uh, wine anywhere.
1: And that's the beauty of wine. (laughs) That is the beauty of wine. You can drink it on the plane. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, You're such a prolific writer. The amount of books that you put out. What is your sort of like daily writing process? Sort of how do you start a book? I always love hearing sort of what writer's processes are. I write
1: 3,000 words a day, wow. um, without fail. I I don't stop until I hit 3,000, and I start at 5 o'clock in the morning. I kind of I just kind of need to get the ball rolling when the world is quiet, because I have a very hard time concentrating when emails start coming in and there's people in my house and social media is digging. And so I think 5 a.m. it's like my quiet time, and I can get into um, sort of a rhythm before the day starts. And once I'm in that rhythm, there's nothing that can stop me from finishing kind of like the scene that I'm in. Cause I just like, I have to button it up. I have to resolve it. Uh, so yeah, I 3000 words a day, five days a week. And I don't, I find that I have, I find it really difficult to take breaks between books. I'm just kind of always wanting to, you know, go to the next story. So, uh, <laughs> I yeah that's I guess that's why I'm able to churn out so many books is that just constantly um yeah just constantly wanting to write another story
0: yeah and how early like do does a book start forming in your head like are you one of those like the characters start talking to you like when are you like okay this is the next book this is where I'm going next.
1: It's usually like when I'm halfway through the book that I'm currently writing that Mm -hmm. the other, the next one starts like whispering in my ear, you know, and I think that's really useful because I will play that book out in my head for about three to three to four weeks before I start writing it. I'm kind of like playing out scenes, like that's not working. Why isn't it working? You know, and then like, I just, by the time I get to that book, I've sort of like, I've sort of lived it in my head quite a few times, mm-hmm. and, like fine-tuned it. And that being said, then I will start writing it. And once the characters are on the page together, they're not like I was expecting them to be. <laughs> so I'll have to adjust again.
0: Mm-hmm. But I think
1: that's part of the, the, that's part of my process for sure, is that I'm constantly allowing the characters to take their own paths. I'm not locking them into the story that I originally came up with. I'm allowing myself to make adjustments, take, you know, different different approaches to each scene, each sort of like plot pillar. And then, um, yeah, I just feel like it feels more organic that way to like, kind of let them decide where they want to go.
0: Um, Yeah, and you mentioned sort of social media buzzing. Book Talk has been huge for romance for books in general. Um, You're you seem to be one of the very few authors who's been able to crack Book talk or TikTok <laughs> as a medium, sort of. How did that start for you? Sort of. What's your relationship to it now? Yeah,
1: yeah. it's such a crazy, it's such a crazy uh, wild west uh, <laughs> of a platform. I mean, some days I love it, and then like some days I'll, I'll you know I'll put up a video and it'll go beyond the bounds of romance oh. worlds. and and then somebody will like tell me I look like William H Macy in the comments. <laughs> You know, so there are some days <laughs> that are terrible on book talk, and there are other days that you feel like you're connecting with readers, and that's really what I'm in it for. Mm-hmm. I think that if I've if I if I have cracked it, or if I, in some way I think that it's because I'm not trying to sell constantly. I think trying to sell people something on book talk is a huge mistake. Yeah, because it's not. Um, that's not what it's for. It's really, it's it like, I learned about TikTok from my daughter who's 12 <laughs> <laughs> and she will swipe the second someone starts to sell her something. It's, yeah. it's like almost an, it's almost like resentful. She doesn't, she resents it. Mm-hmm. And so I, I basically just go on and try to be myself and hope that my personality sells my books for me. Because I think that if you like me in some way, mm-hmm. or you, my TikToks are funny to you or enjoyable to you. That's a pretty good indicator of what's going to be in my books. And I don't need to hit people over the head with that. They're smart enough to figure it out for themselves. So I think that that maybe is why I've had, you know, I've had good success connecting with people on there.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, You mentioned sort of when you wrote your first uh, romance novel that you sort of didn't, have an association with tropes what was your sort of like journey to romance like did you read it as a kid did you find a box full of romances in the back (laughs) of a closet which seems to be quite popular sort of (laughs) what was your relationship with romance like pre-writing it
1: yeah I did find my first book uh Hidden Fires by Sandra Brown I found Mm -hmm. it in my uh grandmother's luggage at a (laughs) family reunion in maine and it was the most boring family reunion like ever it was it was terrible it was like just knitting and river dance and river <laughs> dance. they wanted to watch river dance on tv like over and over um <laughs> and there was nowhere to go because we were in this cabin in maine and there was nowhere to go uh yeah so i just had to sit there and then i found this book i read it cover to cover and i started it over you know <laughs> and i just kept reading i kept reading the same book over and over until someone finally took me to a bookstore. And I just like never stopped. Um, and so I guess, you know, I was kind of direction directionless in my teens and twenties. Like I didn't really have any kind of career aspirations. I hopped from job to job, but I always kept this thread of like loving romance and I would just like write stories in my head and they, I would write them and keep them going until they finish. They would sometimes last for months on end. I would mm-hmm. keep chewing on the same story. So eventually I decided to write one um, because my daughter had been born and I was just like, I need to figure out how to be how to be something she's proud of. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, it, by some twist of fate here I am now, I don't know. I It seemed like a kind of profession that only a, like a really smart person would have would ever succeed at, but I had yeah. done it. So I'm telling you, it's not always, it's not always the case.
0: <laughs> I would disagree with your self categorization there. Like, I definitely think you're very smart. And, but I, yeah. So did you sell that first romance novel that you wrote? And had, had that been one that was sort of kicking around for months in your brain?
1: I had written a couple of practice ones like that mm-hmm. I was kind of, that I will never see the light of day. Uh, one was about a, Louisiana mafia boss and a runaway. And then another one was about a hockey player and his assistant. Mm. Um, and those were kind of like very short, very, you know, mostly just me trying to see if I had the discipline to finish a book, but this one felt serious. The one protecting what's his is my first published book. And oh
0: wow,
1: yeah, I, I was like, I really felt like, okay, I know that I have the discipline to do this. Like, let me make this a story that feels important. Let's give it some depth. Let's really flesh these characters out. And, um, and also let me stop writing. Like my mom's going to read it. Like, let me just really let it loose. And it it felt so good. Once I did that, I was like, uh, you know, I was turned on by it Mm -hmm. and I was writing what I wanted to read. So I think that that's really, that's really where it, I feel like the magic started for me is that I was like writing what exactly what I wanted to read. Um, And yeah. So I, anyways, I locked myself in a room and wrote that book while my husband was out of work because he, his bar had been flooded from a hurricane. (laughs) So it was kind of like mother nature gave me a little boost, but um, (laughs) yeah, 10 years ago, it's hard to believe it's been that long.
0: So it was Sandy then that that was, that was the hurricane. Hurricane Sandy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. His bar his bar got flooded and he was out of work for six for six or nine six to nine weeks. I can't remember exactly how much, but I had been home for a year with a baby. And so I mm-hmm. was like, okay, now that you're here, let me do something. Like I need a creative outlet so badly. And so I yeah, I wrote that
0: book. So how hard was it sort of writing with a newborn? Were you able to write during that time before Sandy sort of did you that solid? <laughs> like how Yeah. Great
1: difficulty writing, writing with a new, a newborn and a toddler. Um, but I did it, I did it during nap times. I did it during, you know, the weekend when my husband was off, I did it at night. And then I can't remember exactly. I think when she was around four years old, I started, I started having enough success that I said to my husband, um, if you, stop working (laughs) and watch our (laughs) child full-time. I think I could really make a go at this. Like if I have more time and I can write more, I think I can, like, this could be something. And he quit his job uh, to watch our child. Um, And everybody told him he was nuts. You know, he left like a really, I mean, a great bartending job down near Wall Street, you know, Monday Mm -hmm. through Friday, daytimes, like the ultimate bartending job.
0: Yeah, that's unheard of. It is unheard of,
1: <laughs> and he so, yeah, everybody told him he was he was absolutely crazy and and now, um you know it's like I look back at that and I think, wow, he really had a lot of faith in me, and it meant a lot,
0: yeah, well, I love that that's like a your own sort of romance too, that he would that he <laughs> yeah. sort of believed in you that I love that so much, and um. Oh, I just forgot my train of thought there for a second. <laughs> oh, you mentioned about like writing uh without thinking about an audience, specifically the audience of your mother and probably other people that are close to you. Sort of do you do you have an audience in mind when you write? Now that obviously you have such a strong fan base, you know, do do you think like they're gonna love this? Or do you have to be like so detached?
1: Um Yeah, I'm not necessarily thinking, I'm not like writing um, specifically to like, because I I think what I'm like, when I'm writing something, I'm like, let me just focus on the story and the characters, because Mm -hmm. what the readers are asking for at this present moment, they might not like it in six months, that might not be what they're asking for anymore. So like, let me just stick to what I think were the direction I think this story needs to take to make it Mm -hmm. as as um sort of like heartfelt and interesting as possible and not worry so much about like oh this this trope is the one they want or like oh they're they're not liking third act breakups anymore let me like take that out and i just have to stay true to like what i think is best for the story and just really hope that that readers feel the same
0: yeah definitely um what's coming up next i imagine you're already writing maybe on a book or two past unfortunately, yours. so you know, can you talk anything about kind of what's coming up next?
1: Yeah, I have actually three books written beyond unfortunately yours <laughs> I have uh, it's crazy. I know well, publishing is like so done so far in advance that yeah. you know you finish a book and it's not coming up for a year, so you have you have to start the next one mm-hmm. um but I have a Chris so I have a Christmas book coming in October called Wreck the Halls. That is it's about the so we have this 90s uh, female pop duo, right? Called the Steelbirds. They're best friends, but they break up, they have a terrible breakup. So now we flash forward 30 years. One of their sons and the other one's daughter have been offered a million dollars each to reunite them, reunite the band on Christmas Eve. And (laughs) the entire process is going to be live streamed. So they, uh, yeah, they're just basically like on national television, on everybody's phones and tablets while they try to do this. They go through these like crazy obstacles to reunite their mothers. And of course they fall in love. Oh, thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And then in, in November, I have an Amazon. It's like an Amazon Prime exclusive. That's a hockey novella nice Uh, coming in November. And then February I'm starting a sports series. So
0: I mean, as well, no, it's not. It's it's
1: like it's best friends. Mm. It's two sets of best friends actually. Yeah. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of not, not going to confine myself to only two books in that series. Like I have been doing, I might want to write some more sports. So we'll see. (laughs)
0: love it I can't wait for all of them I mean they all sound fantastic um what uh sort of as we wrap up here what have you read lately that you've loved and it could be romance or non-romance sort of is there anything that has you kind of like books that have you swooning lately yeah I I think my my favorite book of the year
1: so far has been um Before I Let Go by Kennedy Ryan Mm. that's um that's like a, a book for the ages I really feel like it's the best second chance romance I've ever read. Um, I also, you mentioned Kate Claiborne. She's one of my favorites as well. I haven't, uh, I've read Georgie all along and that that is probably close to being my other favorite of the year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, She honestly is just, I I don't know. There's something about her writing that makes me feel like so hopeful and so Mm -hmm. happy. And I read The True Love Experiment by Christina Lauren, which was for a, for a romance lover a must because it is it's the main the the heroine is a romance author and so there's so many like inside jokes about romance that I feel like people who read romance will love.
0: Oh yeah, that was phenomenal. I it's like I could actually all of those great choices. I loved them. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. Um thanks so much for for joining me for this. It was so lovely to talk to you. Um like I said before, unfortunately, yours is out now, so pick it up wherever you get your books. And how can people find you, follow you, get stay up to date on what's happening next?
1: I am on Instagram at Tessa Bailey is an author, okay. <laughs> and I'm on TikTok at Author Tessa Bailey. Those are the two best places to find me. I'm not on Twitter, and uh, mm. um, yeah, so those two places are the best.
0: Do you have like a newsletter or anything like that? I do have a newsletter. Yeah.
1: Okay. I, I only send it out when I have, usually when I have a book release or like some sort of big news to share. So mm-hmm. no spamming. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. They could just go for to your website to sign up for that. Yes. Tessa bailey.com. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks so much. And um, to everybody out there, happy reading. We'll see you next time.